0: We have Peter Stone in studio today to talk about his debut novel, The Perfect Candidate. Heart-stopping. Pulse-pounding. Stay tuned. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. This reminded me, the the pace of this, yep. the, um, the 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 action oriented sound of this reminded me of of your story. I'll take this soundtrack. It's good. It sounds good. It's good. Works for me. We'll talk a little bit about <laughs> it. Hey everyone, <laughs> welcome to Book Circle Online. I am your host Tammy Govea, and I'm chatting here with Peter Stone. Hey, guys. Welcome, Peter. We are here to talk about your debut novel. See that. The Perfect Candidate. So imperfect. Beautifully imperfect. (laughs) Beautifully imperfect. Thank you so
1: much for having me, Tammy. Congratulations.
0: Um, So the music that we opened up with, um, it's from the soundtrack Clear and Present Danger. Nice. Because you're getting so many comparisons. Or Cameron. Yes, is getting so many comparisons to Harrison Ford.
1: Yes, I thought he is. it only
0: appropriate that we play a little bit I, of that.
1: I appreciate it. <laughs> you know, the people, if we ever do an audiobook, we'll have to we'll have to figure out how to get the rights. Uh, yes,
0: you have to. <laughs> That's a great idea. I thought we would start um, with accolades hmm. because I, I was saying to Megan earlier. Um, I've been reading more autobiographies and biographies of late, and this is my first YA novel, and I haven't read a thriller suspense book in I which is shame on me. I can't even well, remember. I hope the, I haven't
1: scared you. away You haven't from the scared genre. me. No,
0: no, it was just the opposite. <laughs> now it's like, oh my gosh, I completely forgot about the genre, and it was just lovely to escape.
1: Good, good. For yeah. a while, I will, I'm excited that you're you're kind of turned on to that category. I think you'll you'll find a lot of great books.
0: It's that whole market. We'll talk about this exploding. <laughs> but I want to talk a little bit, some of the accolades, which I love. An enthralling plot of power, greed, and murder. YA's answer to Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. Stone has created a narrative driven by that most potent of fuels political intrigue. And then I also love the perfect YA thriller for right now. Mm-hmm. Think John Grisham meets John Green. That's an amazing combination. I couldn't put it down, and that's uh, from Margaret Stoll, who yes. you'll actually be sitting down with tomorrow? Yeah, uh, yeah. Wednesday, Or October Wednesday at the, Grove, at the Grove, and we'll talk about that as well.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm thinking, let's start with the prologue.
1: Great. Okay,
0: let's have Love you read a little bit of, of the book, the Excellent. prologue, and then we'll get into all the fun
1: Okay, fun I'll things. do it. Yay. A fun fact, the prologue actually refers to the cover art. So you can imagine the cover art as I read it. (laughs) Okay. Um, Prologue. The end of the summer. You don't notice it at first. Initially, you see our nation's next speaker of the house, whose all-American grin is rivaled only by the pick-me smiles of the interns surrounding him. You see the gleaming, upright dome of the Capitol in the background, lodged into the building like some massive neoclassical Fabergé egg. You see good uncomfortable posture it is the official summer intern photo op we're looking at here a glossy 8x10 automatically sent by the Capitol photographer's office to summer interns homes a few weeks after they drain out of the city it's the picture that will hit the proud local papers the one that will stay on the refrigerator and in my case some fbi file you don't notice it at first but then you can't not see it it's the sweat pouring from my forehead matting down my hair and tickling the end of my nose but I'm not sweating because it's hot. It's the outline of two cell phones, one in each pocket of my khakis. It's the smiles that aren't really smiles, at least not mine. How can you smile when someone's trying to kill you? That summer was supposed to be my Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, the movie my high school government teacher had shown three times, at the beginning and end of the year and before winter break. He really should have just shown us the sequel— Mr. Smith goes to Washington where secrets get you killed. And the sequel to that, Mr. Smith goes to hell. Forgive the strong language. Offensive speech was forbidden in the intern manual they gave us on day one, after all. I just seemed to have some difficulty following the rules that summer. The first page listed guidelines for conduct for interns. Number one, no offensive speech. Number two, don't talk to strangers. Example given, press. Report suspicious individuals to the intern supervisor. Number three, do what you are asked. Number four, be safe. Number five, only enter the congressman's office when invited or accompanied. Number six, ask questions. Number seven, don't email any sensitive documents that you wouldn't want to see plastered all over the po- political blogs within hours. Number eight, build our congressman's reputation. Number nine, you're not here to change the world. Number ten, have fun i technically followed only one of them i asked questions just not the ones they wanted to hear oh and i had a little fun too
0: <laughs> this i i read that prologue and did it take you a long time to write that prologue
1: you know the prologue was the last thing i wrote no for the book Yeah. So I I had initially kind of, I I dove right into the first chapter, which finds Cameron in a speeding taxi heading into the city, um, but felt like I wanted to kind of start the reader off on a more uneasy tone um, and give them a little insight into the peril that he was walking into, which I felt would kind of increase the the suspense um, for the readers and help them, you know, almost like tell him to turn around before he gets in too deep.
0: So the prologue wasn't an, even a thought. You were just going to start with chapter one. And, and it, did you finish the book and then realize, you know what, I need a prologue? Or were you kind of in the middle of it and
1: thought? It was after it was after I had finished the first draft. Okay. Um, and shared it with a few people and gave it some thoughts in terms of how we could improve it. And there was a lot to be improved. Um, <laughs> but that was one of the key things that I felt kind of sets the story off. It's on so the right set tone. the
0: story. And I think it's such an intuitive thought you must have had about I need a prologue. I need... Because there's just something. There's just something that mm. that we need to just set this up into the right... Because you have to start it off in the right tone.
1: Yeah. And you yeah. really did. So it's that kind of paranoia... A classic political thriller vibe that I yeah. wanted to get across. Yeah,
0: and I love the Mister Smith Goes to Washington because mm. it's like one of my favorite so movies. Good. Capra, so I love, good. love it, love it. So, um, for all of you who have not seen Mister Smith Goes to Washington, I highly recommend it because when you read this experience, it
1: the juxtaposition of it is hysterical.
0: <laughs> You'll really get yes. the joke. Um, so, tell us a little bit about the plot. Tell us about Cameron and his his story.
1: Yeah, so you know it's interesting that you played the Clear and Present Danger music as we started. I. Political thrillers are my favorite kind of novels and movies, um, and I feel like we've all seen so many, seen and loved so many political thrillers from the point of view of presidents and power brokers. Um, and I wanted to see what those scandals and stories were like from the point of view of the people on the front lines, yeah, the, the junior staffers, figures, the interns. Yeah. And so this is House of Cards or Scandal from the point of view of an intern, because. I think we're finding that it's often the people with the smallest titles who end up having the most power in D.C.
0: Your inspiration. You know, it's amazing. Writers are an amazing breed. Um, Inspiration comes from so many things. Mm -hmm. It comes from people. It comes from experiences. Your source of inspiration. Talk a little bit about what spurred you to write this story.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I've always loved the genre and whether it's, you know, John Grisham or Tom Clancy or even YA authors like Margaret Stoll, John Green, Karen M. McManus. I like, I've, I've loved the genre and people who have written in thrillers and, and YA. Um, I never envisioned myself as a writer. <laughs> I was a very content consumer of film and TVs, of, t, of film and TV and books, but I never thought I could be I could create a story myself. So you I never, never really wrote gave myself as a permission. kid? You
0: used you know, so many writers. I've been keeping journals since I was a kid or I worked at the newspaper. There was never any kind of writing in your, you know, in your I, background? I, was,
1: I wrote on the school newspaper, you know, a, 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 a coverage of the Grammy Awards or whatever. Um, <laughs> but, you know, what I did do uh, was I created movie posters for made-up movies and kind of thought of pitches in my head for what an action thriller might look like or, a, you know, a government drama or a, a historical uh, film or romantic comedy or whatever. Cast them, made posters, um, which is connected to actually what my day job is now, oddly enough. But I never wrote the stories down.
0: So you have the stories in your mind. Yes. And the translation of the stories turned into
1: it was more posters. visual I was like doing marketing yeah. campaigns as an eight-year-old um and so I never I never thought that this could be something I could write until uh oddly enough my wedding day um, and so
0: you have your wife to thank. For so this. I
1: have my wife to thank. she, <laughs> she was, and continues to be my greatest muse. Um, but we're at, we're at kind of, we're at the wedding and I give a speech and my wife gives a speech. And afterward, you know, at weddings, how usually you end up knowing half the crowd. And, and then on the other side, you don't know as many like, people. Who are you?
0: Yeah. So a, a
1: <laughs> woman came up to me and was very complimentary and about, uh, my vows and asked me, are you a writer? And I answered her, and I said, <laughs> "I write emails for work." That's <laughs> <You know? laughs> the
0: extent of it.
1: And she was like, "I think you have a book in you." And I was like, "I think you have a few really good drinks in you," <laughs> you know. <laughs> um. So, so I was flattered, but I didn't take it seriously. Later, find out that uh, she was New York Times bestselling author Margaret Stoll. Oh
0: my gosh! Um,
1: which made me, you know, take the the suggestion a little more seriously and myself a little more seriously. And. Um, so after a couple of nudges, I don't know why she kept tracking me down. Um, I wrote a first chapter and of this story of this story okay, and shared it with her and she was encouraging. And so I, you know, wrote another one and another one and, and had a draft within about four or five months.
0: Did you start with the beginning, middle and end, or are you, are you the kind of writer that starts off with the, I got the beginning. Yeah, not sure what the middle is, and I got the ending.
1: Oh man, I I wish I could be. You know, they call them pantsers, people who write by the seat of their pants. Yeah. I wish I could be that, but I certainly wasn't. And I and I realized that I that I don't think I'm that kind of writer when I wrote the first chapter because I just saw. It's an overused cliche, but it was like a can of worms, and all these plot threads just kind of went everywhere, and I saw them, which was exciting but kind of scary to me. Yeah, because exciting because I saw the potential in the idea. But scary because I didn't know how to wrangle them all together. Because with this
0: kind of genre, there's there's so many subplots going on, right? And it's it's that that fear. I would think of how am I going to tie everything together.
1: So I felt it big time, and so I realized after writing the first chapter, I needed to pause and kind of think through the entire story. Um, and so I plotted, all, I mapped out the characters, the plot, the the beats of the story. And I knew how it was going to end. Okay. Um, And then with that in mind, I started writing chapter by chapter. But that's where the – for me, the magic of of writing comes into play because I had this plan and I knew where I wanted these characters to go. Um, And this is going to sound so precious and awful, but it's true. (laughs) Like sometimes the characters take you where they want to go. Oh, absolutely. And you can't decide. And there are ideas – that are very different than what you had planned, that are much better than you had what you had planned. And so you go with it. And it's not efficient and it's not convenient, but it's really exciting and so it's really fun. So when you
0: have that feeling is a kind of an investigative, like, I don't know where this is going, but I think this is the way it needs to go. Oh, okay, yeah. let's explore it. Yeah, totally. And, then-
1: and it's like, and there were times, um, you know, where I was writing some of these scenes and I usually write quite late at night after, you know, the kids have had... Beth, uh, bad time. Oh, sorry, bad time. <laughs> bath time and bedtime, um, and doing the dishes. And you know, nine or ten p.m. rolls around, and that's usually when I will start to write. Um, the house is quiet and dark, and and some of these more intense scenes, mm. um, I started freaking myself out. As I <laughs> ah, wrote them that's you, a good sign. Because you have to go oh, yes. into the the headspace of the character and all the book little is,
0: creaks in the house. Are, yeah, <laughs> and the
1: book is written in in first person, um, and so I, uh, you know, it was a. It was kind of reliving the city with a much more sinister angle than I had personally.
0: It's dark. It, you know, even, yes. even even, during the daylight time in the story, there's, there's a darkness. Well, it, that... gets,
1: it gets darker as the story proceeds, which I think kind of mirrors Cameron's feelings about the city. Yeah. He comes to Washington, D.C. as an idealist, um, expecting and hoping the be- for the best. Um, and slowly the city betrays him. Um, and the people around him, he doesn't know who he can trust. And so it does start to feel a little kind of claustrophobic and, and paranoid.
0: Why did you choose first person?
1: It just came naturally to me. Okay. It, it, again, I um, to me, that felt like the best way to tell this story. I also feel like for it kind of helps to increase the suspense because you don't know what's You're going to You're not in happen. the heads
0: of everybody else, exactly. Right. And
1: so you, so the things he experiences and the people he talks to, he doesn't know what their motives are or what their backstories are, which I think lends itself to to an interesting kind of suspense in the story.
0: Um, it's not easy to write in first person.
1: You know, it's the first book I've ever written, yeah. so it's all I know. I, I've just finished a second draft of um, – a, a first draft of a second book okay. um, where I wrote in third person – um, which was a, a totally different kind of challenge. Um, but I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed writing in first person. And also it, it felt appropriate because his experiences are really tied to my own um, as an intern in Washington, D.C. Speak about that. Yeah, so the, um, the so I was always quite politically involved as a, a child and a teenager, whether it was, you know, hanging out, uh, hanging voter registration things on people's doorknobs, door-to-door, or even running for student council in high school, um, or, you know, Being on the political campaign for my congressman, who was Gary Condit, um, who was a, you know, highly revered, successful Mm -hmm. congressman for my um, district for seven terms. Um, And so he was a hero of mine um, and of many people in the in the city. And what was
0: it about him that made him so heroic for you?
1: You know, it was I think he he came off and he was so down to earth and relatable um and the part of California that I'm from is not Hollywood and not Silicon Valley. It is, you know, my high school was surrounded by orchards. Um and it is kind of salt of the earth mm. people. Um which is a I'm so grateful that I got to grow up there. Um
0: have those even roots. though
1: cameron bags on the city in the book but he learns his lesson
0: <laughs> every 18 year old bags exactly. on wherever they grew up exactly
1: <laughs> um so so anyway he uh, totally relatable and and another thing that was pretty impressive is uh the district that i grew up in was predominantly republican but he was a democratic candidate and so he had a way of he had kind of a centrist approach that was very even-handed and not too influenced by either party um which i think was really inspiring and and uh uh caused a lot of confidence in in the people he represented. So um, my dream was to always go to Washington, D.C., get out of my small town, experience a big city. And I had the opportunity to the summer after I graduated from high school. So a few days after I got my diploma and crossed the stage, I was crossing the country.
0: Oh, my gosh. Um, Had you been away from home that?
1: Not never that long before. I mean, maybe for like weeks at a time or visiting people. But never that long and never that far. Right. Um, so I got my, you know, duffel bag. Didn't, it didn't even have a roller bag. And, you know, dragged it up the stairs into into some apartment building in Alexandria, Virginia. <laughs> Smelled the the scents of like five different international cuisines as I was walking down the hall. And then went into my apartment. Um, which is all incredibly exciting and exotic for a, you know, someone coming out of high school, particularly from a, a relatively small town. Yeah. Um, so, tr- and truly like a, a, an amazing experience for me, um, that really changed my life, my expectations for myself, my realization of what could be possible in life. Um, and it, it made Washington DC, my, my favorite city in the country to this day, which I think comes out, comes out in the book. Because you've traveled. I, yeah. Yeah. You know, but in terms of American cities, I don't think it gets better. Um, and I think that comes out in the book um where it's it's almost like the city is a character in and of itself.
0: It is a kind of love story. Yes. You know his relationship with the city? Yeah. Um good bad, you know, ugly what have you there there is there's a connection. Yeah. that he has with it. Well, I'm
1: glad that came out for you Clearly. because it, it you know, I I feel so deeply for that city and the restaurants and the smells and the feeling of the summer. Um, And the sound of your footsteps as you walk down the hallways and in in the congressional buildings, it's amazing. So, um, so that, you know, as I looked back on moments of my life that I uniquely knew, um, which is again, the old adage is you write what you know. Right. Yeah. Um, And what I could uniquely speak to was that experience of going from a small town to, you know, this huge city with a subway system that looks like Space Mountain And, um, you know, working with the most powerful political leaders in the country, it was quite a juxtaposition, but an amazing, an amazing experience. Um, So the summer was was wonderful. And then I think we we all learned new things about uh, Congressman Condit in the years to come.
0: Right. You know, everyone has moments in their life where they literally can look in the rearview mirror as they're driving and see their adolescents mm. falling behind them, yep, gone. And when I read Cameron's story and when I hear about you know you going to Washington as a as a high schooler graduating from high school and you go in with expectations and you go in with hopes and you go in with you've got a picture of the world and then life happens. Mm-hmm. And things change and your picture changes.
1: Yeah. You know, I feel like that jump from high school to whatever comes next is probably one of the most momentous experiences in life. And the thing is, you don't even realize it's happening until it's done. Um, And you're so ready to move on. And then- You want to
0: fast forward through everything.
1: Pretty soon you start realizing that that small town and those people who you were with day in and day out were wonderful and even idyllic in their own way. But it's too late because you're now an adult, <laughs> um, and so that time in life is is really fascinating to me, um, the growth that you go that you go through almost in spite of yourself, mm. um, and how it's this trick of life that that adolescence is taken from you, um, and, and you're
0: not even aware of it. No, and right. it's
1: exciting, and you never really would want to go back. But it was kind of nice how it used to be, you know.
0: How did that that summer inform? you going forward and how you thought about life uh
1: it gave me a measure of confidence that i don't think i had before um and you know at at the time that was me listening to my mp3 player on the subway trying to look you know <laughs> sophisticated and like i fit in when i i'm sure i didn't wearing my airwalk shoes and <laughs> <laughs> um so it, but it gave me um you know when when you're trying new things you almost have to play the part before you or, before you are the part.
0: It's fake it till you make it kind of thing. Kind of. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so it was like this test drive of adulthood in a big city, um, where I was going to an office and interacting with people and, um, you know, having this access to power and influence, um, and rooms even, um, on Capitol Hill that was, was great and kind of set my expectation higher in terms of what I would want to do with my life.
0: Why did you choose the YA market to tell this story?
1: You know, I, what I chose first was I wanted to tell a really good story. Um, I wanted to tell a political thriller that I hadn't seen before with characters and a perspective that would be new. Um, and as I did that, I started realizing, okay, most of my characters are teenagers. Um, you know, they interact with adults, but the point of view of this book is solidly, uh, youthful. Right. Um, and so as I started thinking about, you know, what category would this fall into, young adult seemed like the right one. Um, so you chose a category, you wrote the story, and then you kind of figured, oh,
0: I guess it fits into YA, or did you make that conscious choice before you wrote?
1: I, I, wrote, I wrote the story and picked the story before I thought of the audience. Okay. I just wanted to tell a great story. Right. Yeah.
0: And then you just figure out where it's going to shine.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think that as as you acknowledge the YA genre um, is appealing to people of all ages um, now. And I think it it really is kind of transcending this age of 14 to 18 or whatever it is, um, because these stories um, are universal. Right. Um, And while The Perfect Candidate, you know, is about a high school graduate going to Washington, D.C., facing an impossible task. We all face incha- insane challenges in our life, um, and I'm hopeful that people, as they read this book, can get a measure of confidence themselves in whatever whatever challenges are that they're facing.
0: I think that's one of the things that surprised me about the story was its appeal across demographics. I think, because I hadn't read a YA book before, I think I was expecting it to be not younger in tone, but Maybe just a little bit more like an easy read. I don't want to say dumbing down sure. I don't know it should, i but this reads like an adult book does that make mm-hmm. sense
1: i yeah and i um i mean the and language it's probably because you know as as i I have nephews and nieces who are teenagers and uh you know other friends who are who are younger than me, and they don't want to be talked down to well
0: that's it. That's exactly it. Um,
1: and you know, as I started to read other YA novels, it they are they contain quite sophisticated mm-hmm. language and themes. Um, and I think today's teenagers want that. Um, they
0: are that. Well,
1: and they frankly they can't avoid it in the news. Um, and so there's no point in sugarcoating a reality or language mm. for them um, in a books because in a book because that is not authentic to who they are. Um, and so I, you know, I wanted to write a book that would be aspirational, um, for readers of all ages, but particularly teens who are in high school contemplating what comes next. Yeah. What's the world I want to live in and what are the challenges I want to face and stand up to?
0: Yeah. Um, you've had this story in you for a really long time.
1: Of Yes. A long time. Yeah. So, before I even knew I wanted to write it.
0: So why now?
1: Um, the, uh, Again, it was the nudging from, uh, from Margaret Stoll, um, who, you know, gave me the confidence to see myself as a writer. Um, and another thing I'll say that's interesting, I haven't, I haven't said this before, but I, like I said, I love film and TV and books. I'm, you know, often watching, you know, one or two movies a week and, and tearing through TV shows. And I felt like when I compared what I had consumed in life to what I had created, it was like an overwhelming ratio that I was, you know, much more of a consumer than a creator. And something about me felt like, you know what, I need to watch a few less hours of TV (laughs) and create something on my own, even if, even if it's just for the experience of doing it. Um, Because I didn't really start with a commercial idea in mind or, or, you know, the idea that this would be a a book published by Simon and Schuster, which is frankly beyond my wildest dreams. I know. Dreams. Congratulations um, again!
0: That's so amazing. B-
1: but I, I felt almost this kind of creative imbalance in my life, and wanted to, uh, to lean into that. And it was hard. It is not. It is really easy to talk about a book, <laughs> to talk about an idea that you have, and you know, brag about. I'm writing something, or I'm going to write something to friends, or whatever. It is entirely different to sit down, and I realized it within the first page. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wow, this is different. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is hard.
0: I actually have one of the questions that I yeah. have for you is describe your process of writing in three words. Because it's such a personal experience.
1: Um, let's see. Terror, jump, <laughs> and magic.
0: Oh, those are good.
1: In that order, <laughs>
0: um, and given your visual background, those are very strong visual words.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it, terror, jump, and magic, um, and and what that speaks to is, you know, almost every time before I write, and even with the second manuscript that I've just finished a draft of, um, I never want to do it. Like, it nine or ten p.m. rolls around, and I just want to like sit down, and watch a show. <laughs> I want to like go to bed. Um, And I think of every possible excuse. And and, uh, there are a lot of things that seem more attractive by comparison to writing, whether it's doing the dishes or picking up toys. absolutely. Um, And so, and the reason is because I think I, there's this inherent insecurity in creativity that I had not encountered before. Um, The unknown or? You know, have I run out of words? All of the negative voices start coming out in your head saying like, who do you think you are? Like what makes you the person who can write a book, you know? And the the negative voices are pretty convincing. Um, And so it is this moment of like defying that um, fear and sitting down, which leads me to the second word, which is jump, Mm. Um, because it always is a jump. And I feel like, you know, I have a general idea of what I want to write in a story, but I don't know what the first sentence is going to be. And then I just start writing it. Um, So it's this leap of faith that's inherent every time I, I sit down to write. And then the last word is magic, um, because uh, you almost every time I jump, I land somewhere. And, you know, the stepping stone isn't always firm, but it's almost always there. And then there's another one. And those are words which turn into paragraphs, which turn into pages and chapters. Um, And that is like a, a truly special, magical experience for me. And I know... For those of you who are watching and listening, that sounds horribly cheesy, but there's really (laughs) no other way for me to describe it. Um, And that's what keeps me up until the wee hours, Mm. um, writing and exploring. And that's what keeps me writing when I'm on page 43 and I'm trying to decide what a teenager is going to say to another teenager, um, because the story almost rolls out in front of me. And it's just this natural high that is really wonderful.
0: Cameron's voice. He's he's a... He's a complex guy. You know, he's, he's courageous, and yet you can, see, you can see the fear, and he allows himself to feel the fear. Um, he's smart and intelligent, and then he says something or he does something, and you're like, how hmm. could you have just said that? How could you have just done that? Like, yeah. um, his voice is very distinctive. Is How similar is your voice to Cameron's?
1: I think it's probably pretty similar. Is it? Yes. Um, just in terms of the way that he sees the world and the, um, the observations that he has. I mean, my, my style is informed by a lot of different sources. Um, uh, everything from, you know, Christopher Guest comedies and Amy Heckerling's Clueless <laughs> script to um, the, the way that John Steinbeck writes characters. Mm. Um, and I'll give a shout out to East of Eden, Chapter 8. Which is the description of the character Kathy Ames, which is this amazing, terrifying book within a book that, to me, is a masterclass in how do you write a character. And I am not comparing myself to John Steinbeck, but that uh, you know, if I'm if I'm uh, reaching toward a north star, that would be it. But there's also kind of a populist angle with pop culture references um, and a little more contemporary uh, approach that I I try to incorporate.
0: It's interesting that you brought up Steinbeck because when you were describing where you're from and just, you know, people being the salt of the earth, I immediately thought of Steinbeck.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, so it's you not see. too far from the Salinas Valley. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. Another, another thing that I was mindful to do in the book was keep Cameron's relationships with his friends and family at home, mm. which increasingly provide a really striking foil to, you know, the new friends that he finds in Washington, DC. They remind him of where he comes from and how far that he's strayed.
0: As I was reading, let's see, I started reading this on Friday. No, I started reading the book on Friday, but I knew that we were going to be having this conversation. Yeah. And um, when I got your background history and where you'd come from and your experience that summer, um, I was watching the Kavanaugh.
1: Oh my goodness. Blasey
0: Ford hearings. So I couldn't help but look in the background Because there's so many people in the background as, as this was going on. And you see, I saw all of these young, young people, and it dawned on me that not only that hearing, how that hearing in and of itself did, has, and will shape these young people because it was a historical moment yep. in in political time. Yep. Just working for this administration, the current administration, the lives, the young lives that are being shaped and informed and whether it's a summer or, you know, they're there as a, a in the long run. Um it's scary and terrifying to think about what they're feeling or what they might be thinking.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Did you have thoughts about this story and how it might impact whether they're interns or, or you know people that want to go folks that want to go into politics or are thinking about going into politics. it's terrifying. What's what's the big picture?
1: Man, it's it is terrifying, but you know, we need young people to be leaning into into government and politics more than ever. And I think what's great about this extraordinary political climate, is that they are, um, and we are seeing young people engage and march and rage and write and ask questions and show up in ways that we haven't before. Um, and I couldn't have seen that coming. Um, I couldn't have, you know, written a presidential character like Donald Trump, even if I had tried, that's like beyond my (laughs) imagination, the way in which that he is, uh, you know, acting in such an unprecedented way, it's, it's fascinating. And frankly, it would make for a, a very delicious fictional character. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, like I said, the one thing that I think we can all agree on, regardless of political persuasion, that is great, that is coming out of this is a more informed and curious and active, uh, youth when it comes to politics. And, and I like to feel that my, you know, the protagonist Cameron would be right at home with them in the way that he stands up to power, um, and asks questions and, you know, isn't perfect and makes mistakes and, you know, does a few things where you're like, you're so stupid. Don't, (laughs) don't do that. But he's 18. It's
0: realistic. It's so realistic. He's 18
1: years old and he's trying to do his best. And, um, and I, I feel like I said that he is, you know, that spirit is aligned with the one that we are seeing more and more, um, every day. And it's interesting that you observed the, the young people in the back of the, of, You know, the C-SPAN and and the hearings and escorting the senators everywhere. When it comes down to it, Washington, D.C. is run by people in their late 20s. Um, They are the ones, you know, largely drafting the briefs, preparing the agendas, prioritizing congressmen's schedules. Uh, helping them around. And and you you see in the book, as you read it, that, you know, it's a pretty youthful population that runs the city, which is one of the things I love about Washington, D.C. And frankly, like, I would rather have smart, hardworking, idealistic youth setting the agenda than jaded, bitter, entangled, you know, seasoned people uh, in Washington, D.C. So it's Washington DC is a city of balances and contrasts, um, between young and old and, you know, the powerless and and the empowered and, uh, ideals, idealism and corruption. It's just a, it is a fascinating, um, setting to explore and just like the perfect backdrop for a political thriller.
0: Um, and speaking to the youth in Washington, You know, it reminds me of Cameron, but, you know, also Lena, the other characters in your book. Their voices are very distinctive. Um, They're very flushed out and you care about everyone, whether it's Hillary or anyone, you you care about them. Um, And when you when you talk about the political times now. Having a voice, expressing that voice is now encouraged It's now um, embraced Mm -hmm. so much more so than it ever has been. And I remember, you know, after I finished the book and thinking, well, books in and of itself, you know, when everything started to go digital and audio and it's like, I need, I need the tangible (laughs) thing. Yes. You know, I'm I'm old school that way. Mm -hmm. Um, The, the, what are those little, what's the? Kindles Kindles. And I have one. Right. Which are great for books that I yep. don't want to actually have in my library. It's a
1: different experience. It's a different experience. Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, this book, the perfect candidate, will be good regardless whether it's on Kindle or, or hardback. But I loved, I loved the experience. Mm-hmm. You know, the turning of the page and and the vo- and hearing the voices. And what's fascinating is you don't have a lot of physical description of your characters in here. You know, there's a little bit. The description of Cam, like medium build, brown right. hair, and you know lean on what she wears, but there's not a lot of physical description, right. which really leaves the imagination open because I can make them whoever I want them to be. Yeah. Did you do that on purpose? You know, or? It's,
1: it's interesting. I so I uh, I didn't do anything on purpose in this book <laughs> because it was the first you thing I'd say, ever yeah, of um, yeah, I ever written. Yeah, it was exactly <laughs> as me. I planned it. Um, but I, as I as I wrote it, I realized like this this is the writing of someone who likes movies just as much as they like books. Um, because I found that as I was setting up a scene or ending a scene or describing the way that, that a scene proceeded, um, it was almost like I was a director of a film or so I had the, I saw the camera moving right. throughout these environments. Um, and I knew, you know, when a, when a chapter opened up on a close um, or when a chapter opened up on kind of a, a wide angle view of, of a building or a conversation, um and so while i uh, you know i had i did not set out to write a script and i didn't write a script but i found as i looked back that i kind of wrote that way um and i think when you read a script you realize that the the writer allows for you know casting directors to cast whomever they want but they provide you know just enough information to kind of let you put together the pieces um and so that's i i kind of if i had to describe my writing in one word it would probably be um cinematic um, with more of kind of a focus on, uh, action and movement, um, and plot. Are you hooked? On writing? I love it <laughs> and I hate it and I love it. Um, but I think for me, what it's become as I, um, you know, have a, a full-time job throughout the day, yeah. um, and have, you know, two very active young children, um, it's become this kind of strange source of therapy, um, Where, and that probably sounds kind of dramatic, but what it is, is this opportunity for me to kind of go into this world that I am crafting with these characters that I'm getting to know, um, and, uh, try to, try to tell a story. And there's something very, um, uh, calming and relaxing about kind of having that time to yourself to write and it, and believe me, it's a, it's a luxury and it's often that or sleep, um, and so it's this, uh, you know, almost masochistic cycle. <laughs> um, but I, but yeah, I, I, love it. And like I said, I, you know, struggled for a while to think of a, of an idea that would be interesting for a second book, which is um, unrelated to, to this one. And, it is okay. And um, kind of got an idea, and and it flowed pretty quickly. Um, and so I'm I'm revising that right now.
0: What do you have coming up? What's coming down the pike? Can you share anything for the
1: for the second yeah, uh, story? Yeah. yeah so um, it is a separate world uh, from uh, the perfect candidate. Although I, I think I'm going to try to work in the city of Lagrima, uh, which Are is Cameron's <laughs> hometown. I think I may try to have that be a through line through what I write, um, just because that's kind of a, a proxy for my hometown. Um, it is a standalone YA thriller um, that the setting couldn't be more different from the halls of Washington D.C. Um, but I've really kind of tried. I've challenge myself to increase the suspense. Um, and so, like I said, writing alone at home, uh, in, in the quiet dark, um, as some of these nightmares that I'm thinking of come out onto the page, (laughs) um, has been a, a chilling experience, um, at times, but I, um, but yeah, it's, it's early stages, but I have a draft in the can and, uh, and revising it right now.
0: And I know, let's see, on Wednesday, you're going to be at Barnes and Noble. Yes. Okay. Can't wait. I'll be um, at Barnes and Noble at the, the Grove. At the Grove. It's such a great venue.
1: I love it. I love that space. I've been to so many book signings there before and, and never- Are you just like,
0: pinching yourself? Never
1: envisioned that oh I'd have gosh. one of my own.
0: And you're going to be there with Margaret Stoll. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. She's
0: kind of, you know, she Patron sounds Saint. Like your mentor. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure.
1: Like I, um, I never would have seen this, uh, potential in myself were it not for kind of her, her belief and nudging.
0: And this is going to be again Wednesday, October third at seven PM, Barnes and Noble yes. at the Grove.
1: Hope everybody um, can make it.
0: It's going to be a book signing, or is it going to be kind of a conversation with you and Margaret? Or so
1: it'll be both. I think we'll we'll kick off and you know do our best to be serious talking about books and, <laughs> and fail at the serious part. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, she also has a, a new book out called Cats Versus Robots, and which I'm also excited to to talk about. It's a middle grade um, story that is exactly what the title is. Um, And so we'll be able to talk about uh, kind of her book as well um, and just kind of writing and probably recount that experience at my wedding um, where she approached me cold um, and then uh, book signing afterward. Okay. Yeah. Um,
0: Are we going to see Cameron again? Is he he, whispering in your ear every uh, now and then? For
1: sure. You know, I think if you, uh, for people who read this book, They'll see that there, uh, you know, are likely more adventures ahead for him. Um, And I certainly have an idea of what those are. Okay. Um, And I I find myself even kind of daydreaming about, um, you know, the torture I can put him through (laughs) after this book. Um, And uh, thinking about D.C. um, And I'm finding that I I like my version of of Washington, D.C. more than the real one these days. So that that works for me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I just want to reiterate uh, The Perfect Candidate by Peter Stone. Here we go. <laughs> this will be available starting tomorrow. Uh,
1: yes, Wednesday, Correct. October 2nd.
0: Starting tomorrow. The
1: publication date is here.
0: Simon and Schuster. Schuster?
1: Schuster. Schuster. Yes.
0: Um, congratulations oh, again. thank you so much, Thank Tammy. you for introducing me to YA, for reintroducing me to the Thriller and Suspense book.
1: Wonderful. It's well, just, there are a lot more wonderful authors and stories to get to know.
0: Can't wait.
1: Thank Thank you so so much. much.
0: (laughs) Uh, Where can people find you on social media so they can follow your journey? uh,
1: So please follow me on Instagram at uh, Peter Stone Books and on Twitter at P Stone Books. Okay, And then uh, you can learn more about the background of the book and and my uh, story at my website, PeterStoneBooks.com.
0: Perfect. Also, you can find this interview on Book Circle Online on YouTube. Um, It'll say Book Circle online. Peter Stone discusses uh, the perfect candidate. And you can find me on social media: Twitter at Tammy Govea and Instagram, and Facebook Tammy Govea Official. Thank you again. Thank you. This Tammy. is lovely. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> to more well, the journeys.
1: Producers: Kevin Undergaro, Maria
0: Menounos, and Jeffrey Masters. Thanks for tuning in to Book Circle Online. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment. To suggest a book title or their author, you can tweet us at Book Circle On. This is Book Circle Online. Thanks for tuning in.